Hi, this is uh, Bookish Talk, uh, the shorter version of iBook Bindings podcast. And uh, uh, today we return to Anjaya Kuna, a book artist from Hawaii. And uh, we plan to discuss uh, some of the unusual materials and uh, some of her book projects. Uh, um, so let's just <laughs> move forward. <laughs> Can we start with the bones? Because last time we, uh, we discussed some bones that we haven't seen yet. <laughs> I, 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 should, I should add that uh, uh, this uh, ambient sound that uh, you have there is probably the most unusual ambient sound we ever had on our podcast. So you definitely get an award for that. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Sometimes I forget about them when you live here every day they you kind of tune them out <laughs> so this is my box of bones okay so i got it. Oh, this is funny. The, uh, bones are following me because for the second uh, two days in a row, uh, yesterday and the day before, I was digging for for bones and putting them into boxes, uh, <laughs> and, and, and and now I can see that they could be used for uh, for something beautiful. Okay, and what are those bones from? What animals? A lot of these are goat bones. There's a lot of goats here in Hawaii. Um, one of them is a. This is a, I think a horse spine. And I even have a horse hook. Wow. <laughs> Some of these are from cows. Am I right in thinking that there are no uh, native uh, animals of uh, big, uh, big, uh, big native animals? So if if you if you use a big bone, it would certainly be something invasive. Well, brought. Yeah, there are no native big animals in Hawaii. Yeah. Well, you could you could uh, you could say uh, pigs are, are native because uh, those were brought by the Polynesians first, but that's also not that long ago. Oh, yeah, but pigs are incredibly um, harmful to the environment here. They, they mate like bunnies, um, and they erode the earth so much that they're also the cause of flooding. And a lot of people who live at higher elevations need to build up soil for their farms. And the challenge is, is all the rainfall eroding their soil away. On top of that are the um, pigs as well, eroding the land. Um, yeah, so horse hair. Really excited to use that. I want to make it into paper. Did, did you already use uh, horse hair in your projects or uh, not yet? Not yet. No, I just got it. So I'm like, oh no, another new idea. <laughs> yeah, so I have actually sold a lot of my books with bones. It seems to be a popular design people really like. Um, but I refused to sell one of my original designs. Um, so this is a carved bone. This is called the hiiaka. And so this bone is inlaid into the spine so that when you open the book, you can also see it from the inside in every page. Interesting. 
Fascinating. And it's uh, is it also moving? So it's not firmly attached, right? It's it needs a little bit. Um, but yeah, this is one of my experimental designs that still needs a little bit of uh, finessing, um, a little more improvement. Let me turn this off. It's really hot. Um, yeah, so I'm also a fan of black paper with white pen. It's just, it's like, I don't know, really whimsical to me. Um, another project I'm working on is this. Um, this uh, sorry, sorry to interrupt you. Uh, this uh, somehow reminded me that uh, some time ago uh, I found this uh, uh, book. Uh, I, I'm not sure if I can uh, find it right now. I think it's still in the boxes. So uh, in, in Russia, uh, uh, I think in the uh, 1930s or something like that, uh, they used uh, these uh, uh, chalkboard books for uh, in, in the schools. So uh, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a sort of, uh, uh, how do you call it? Uh, not, not a notebook, uh, a school book uh, uh, with, uh, with black pages, but they're just not, not just black paper. They are covered with some uh, special material. So they are like a chalkboard. And you can draw, uh, you can draw or write with chalk uh, on 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 the pages, and then you can wash it away. So maybe this may be a, 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 a sort of material you can try to use as well in your future projects. I'm not sure if you can find it anywhere. <laughs> but... I know I probably have to. <laughs> yeah, but it's it's black and. <laughs> Yeah, and to, uh, to, uh, to me, it reminded one of the books uh, you, ga uh, you gave me as a present. Uh, early, early 20th century, like 1920s, 1930s, uh, 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 it was an architectural book, I think, but I saw that uh, elsewhere where they uh, didn't uh, print uh, uh, the illustrations, but they glued them onto separate pages mm -hmm. and those pages were often black offsetting the rather poor colors uh, of the era and giving them this additional vibrancy you know uh, that particular book was about egypt and they used like free colors in in the illustrations but because of the uh, uh black, black background back, yeah. black background it plays really well. It it makes everything uh, more luxurious. I don't know. A lot more vivid. I feel like the words kind of just pop out way more. Black. Yeah, black black pages. It's it's a different different and interesting choice, definitely. Yeah, but usually it's thicker paper. It's never like the thin, nice paper that I'm looking for. It always feels a little bit like construction paper. Uh, so you uh, do you think about that ac uh, uh, aspect of the work a lot about how it feels in your head about the tactile experience of handling your books? Yeah. Um, so I mean, this one in particular, um, if you feel the spine, it's very rough, and it's supposed to represent the volcanic rocks here in Hawaii. If you walk on it barefoot. Uh, <laughs> The Hawaiians call it ah, ah the volcanic rocks, because that's the sound you make when you walk on top of these rocks, because it hurts. <laughs> um, and 
the story behind this book is that the goddess Hiiaka, she's the one of the Hawaiian gods. She is the goddess of song or life or the goddess of hula. There's a lot of translations. Um, and so I translate her as the energy that sprouts life into the volcanic barren like lands of Hawaii. When you look at volcanic deserts, it doesn't look like anything can grow, but surprisingly green grows there. And that's because of Hiiaka, and she was brought as an egg form. So that's the, the, that's what inspired the design, the colors, the textures. Um, if you, if you drive past um, kind of like North Kona, it has these pastures of very pale sage green grass and then just stark like black rock soil. It's really cool. Um, so yeah, your writing is pretty much like the seeds that grow from Hiyaka's energy. Um, that sounded really cheesy <laughs> coming out of my mind, but that's, that was the inspiration. Like, crack the egg of your ego and, and let her nurture your writing or your imagination. So yeah, that's what inspired this one. In the, in the first part of our talk, you said how you are not very good at selling your product and telling the story, and I really can't believe that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not eager to, to, to let everyone know that. Like, I don't know, I just read people and I can tell when they care and don't care, I guess. So if I were to retell that story constantly, it just starts to feel like, um, like I'm advertising or I don't know. It, it, it sort, sort of deviates the story somehow. Yeah. But do you guys want to see more weird materials? Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. <laughs> um, so this is a seashell of porcupine quills. Oh, it's, it's a spike, so yeah? Yeah. Okay. The quills of a porcupine. Uh, where did you get the porcupine? <laughs> <laughs> um, I found it at an antique store. There's lots of antique stores here in Hawaii. And when I go, I spend an hour looking at every crook and crevice of the store because I end up finding stuff like this. Um, this was in a brown brown um, paper bag. And I was like, what's in here? And I'm like, no way. And I was like, can I have all of it? The guy's like, yeah, $2, something like that. <laughs> okay, now now I have one more reason to to go to Hawaii uh, because I love uh, uh, vintage and uh, uh, you know uh, all these uh, strange stores. They have lines, and everything has a story behind it. I don't know if I should believe all the stories behind it. Like I really wanted a milk glass bottle, and I was like, "Can I have that one?" And the guy said, "I don't think you have enough money." I was like, why? Well, how much is that glass bottle? It's $400. <laughs> oh, 
get I only get seashells from vintage stores as well. I feel really weird about grabbing seashells from the beach. Um, so I'll find really interesting shells. Like I've never seen a black and white clam shell like this. Um, I don't even know what kind of shell this is. Maybe someone of our uh, viewers could identify it. I haven't, I've never seen anything like it either. Yeah, me too. Even the guy didn't know. So I get, you know, if I bargain, I get these things for like pennies. So um, I get feathers as well. Like friends like to give me random, random materials. Oh, I have a plethora of chicken fingers. Uh, chicken Chicken feathers, <laughs> not fingers. That, now, 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 that would be a statement binding. I mean, if it was chicken fingers, like, I'd eat. Them. <laughs> um, this was braided from cane grass. There's a a bunch of cane grass on the island, so I've actually Copic binded a book with this before, and it's interesting aesthetic um, and then in Hawaii there's native um, Hawaiian cotton they call it ma'o um, it's part of the hibiscus family if you've seen a hibiscus the flower of the ma'o plant looks exactly like a hibiscus and then these pods come out and then the cotton just you know it just blooms from that little pod so I've been growing ma'o and harvesting the fibers. And I've been experimenting a lot with um, paper making with it. And it's really hard. <laughs> the fibers are really strong. So I've tried to break it down because um, it kind of ferments over time. If you let it sit in water, it's going to start fermenting. So. In addition to fermenting it and cooking it down, um, it's still too strong, like like 48 hours of cooking. So I've actually been fermenting the fibers for two weeks now. And on Monday, I'm gonna check on it, cook it for 24 hours, and then shred it and see if it works. <laughs> this is, this is but, something that we discussed with uh, uh, one of our guests, uh, 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 Pavel already mentioned during our uh, the first part of our talk with you, uh, Matthias uh, Schwedhelm. Uh, he's a paper maker from uh, from Germany, and uh, uh, one of the things he told us uh, is that uh, there is this uh, uh, definite gap between uh, hobby uh, made paper and uh, sort of professional made paper. Uh, and it is uh, uh, well, of course, it's uh, it's due to experience of paper maker, but. Uh, the machinery that papermaker uses uh, definitely uh, makes a difference. And, uh, uh, you know, all these sorts of beaters and uh, machinery that uh, allows you to uh, work with your fibers. And uh, uh, do you have any machinery or you have to, uh, uh, to, to only, you know, uh, work through ferment fermentation and uh, boiling and, and, and that sort of uh, techniques? Yeah, it's all like kitchen 
appliances. I don't have any heavy industrial machinery. I don't even have a cotton gin, so I had to pick out the seeds myself. Um, wow. Yeah, that was fun. It took me two days. <laughs> Yeah, that 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 what I what I wanted to, to to say that it takes a lot of time and a lot of effort and uh, that's yeah. just, that's just a hard work to, to do paper like this. And <laughs> and, I, and I assume growing it uh, isn't exactly carefree either. No. <laughs> well, it's it's not as demanding, but it does take a really long time from to a, a full-grown plant that will fruit right away. So. Uh, is it the first time that you went through the whole process from growing to paper? Yeah. Oh, yeah. my congratulations. Well, you haven't finished yet, but <laughs> that, I mean, that must I, be exciting. Yeah, I mean, it was so um, it was so much fun because I felt like like a witch with a cauldron cooking these fibers. The smells were really <laughs> Um, but once I put it in a kitchen blender, the kitchen blender wasn't strong enough and the fibers were still really tough. So I'm hoping these two weeks um, really broke them down and then I cook it, can cook it again. Um, kitchen style, not professional style. <laughs> but yeah, I, as you can tell, I experiment a lot. Um, and it's always a very slow process that, you know, takes months, um, course over a year or, um, yeah. And then in between these experimentations, I will do quicker projects. And that's, that usually happens when someone gives me a material and I'm just so inspired, I gotta make it. <laughs> like, um, so someone gifted me and I will never buy this like for myself. And I don't know why, but when they gave me this paper, um, it has dragons on it. I was like, oh my God, I have to make a book. I have to make a book. And it has to happen really, really fast. And when it comes to perfect binding, you know how long that takes. So I, I decided, okay, I'm gonna Japanese bind this. But then I chose this weave and that took me way longer than I thought. <laughs> and I, I knew I was going to paint a Filipino dragon on the cover. So this is the Bakunawa. And the Bakunawa uh, swallowed the seven original moons of the earth. But then another Filipino god um, pretty much beat him up and made him spit out one more moon back into the sky. And that's the moon we have now. So that's the Bakunawa. Um, it's the god of the underworlds, but underworld meaning like the ocean. So it's like a sea serpent dragon. Um, again, I wanted it to happen really, really fast, but <laughs> I haven't painted in a while. So I sketched it out and then I painted it again. And then I still have to do another layer of blue colors. So um yeah when i'm really inspired by material it happens a lot faster like yeah like this one happened really fast when i thought about it like i need to go buy a dremel <laughs> 
what 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 I love about our podcast and uh, is that uh, all the time we get glimpses of uh, uh, different uh, cultures and uh, uh, stories and uh, you know mythologies and and all that stuff. Uh, who whoever uh, uh, I don't know. I, I never would would suppose that I, I would discuss uh, Filipino mythology with anyone. And uh, this is <laughs> so amazing and beautiful. And thank thank you for this story because now now we know at least a bit about it. And maybe maybe it will encourage some of our viewers, to, you know, to dig deeper and to uh, uh, find more about it. And uh, yeah, yeah, that's that's beautiful. Yeah, and I wanted to ask you about uh, the storytelling. You seem to be uh, uh, your work seem to be always telling a story, at least uh, to your uh, to yourself. Is it part of your upbringing? Was it something your family did uh, telling those uh, those kind of story? I think a part of it is my upbringing. I loved video games growing up so you like and, and that's that's a lesson to all the parents who say that video games are are bad for your upbringing yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they are oh. not <laughs> no it wasn't it was an escape for me like my family uh we grew up really poor and it was very challenging so um my older brother had his own PS, PS, uh, PS2. And even though we had no money, he always somehow got the PS2 to the PS3, the PSP, PS4. <laughs> um, so I follow this game, Final Fantasy, throughout my life, if you guys know what that game is. Anyway, um, yeah, and I'm just so in love with escaping this reality and um, getting lost in this whole new world. Um, so yeah, that was my childhood growing up, but I think innately I love just building stuff. And a part of that is um, feeling some sort of sense of control in this little world that I'm making um, when I don't feel like I have any control like in life in general, right? So. I'm really drawn to to magic and or magic realism. Um, uh, like one of my hobbies is writing stories that no one will ever get to read. <laughs> you know, making but why, care. But why? Because um, the writing isn't great all the time, so I don't want anyone to know. <laughs> yeah, or like. I love Minecraft <laughs> with like the little village village people and making cows and stuff. Yeah. The nerd is coming out of me. I'm going to stop it. <laughs> well, no, don't, don't stop. <laughs> that's, 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 that's interesting. I guess, I guess uh, many of the bookbinders are uh, nerds in, in one way or another. So uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, like my friend was playing music from the video game I love, but it, it was like a remix. And I was like, that's from Final Fantasy VII in the forest. And you get lost. <laughs> like, no! Uh, 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 Stopper, uh, 
uh, I may be wrong. Uh, I either wanted or went to a concert uh, of the guy who wrote music for Heroes of Might and Magic 3. So... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's something that can happen to me. <laughs> Do you? I, um, I noticed you mentioned that you are dis, uh, uncomfortable with uh, uh, taking shells from the uh, from the beach. Uh, and what about other wild materials? Do you tr uh, try to reduce, reuse, recycle, or or do you procure something from nature if it is abandoned? Um, so bones, um, are usually either given to me because people hunt, um, shells, for example, it's, it just, there's a lot of sacred land in Hawaii that's been colonized and I just don't want to be a part of that. Um, and it's something that I don't completely understand yet. So I just want to respect, um, respect the island that's meant for everyone and me taking this one little thing makes me feel uncomfortable. Um, other, like for example, materials like this, you know, that's from an antique store. Um, when it comes to fibers, I am pretty conscious about whether it's native, invasive, endemic. If it's native, I try not, I, I just don't use it, except for the ma'o, you know, I'm trying to re replant it back to the island. But things like banana leaves or um, cane grass is, is completely invasive here. Yeah, when I'm, when I'm harvesting from nature, I try to uh, keep in mind if it's native, endemic, endangered, or invasive. Um, and for the most part, I try to pick the invasive ones. <laughs> and can you get uh, a, a, lo a local traditional uh, fibers and textiles? I know there are plant-based uh, textiles, but they're often, uh, they have certain spiritual connotations. Um, uh, is there any such material available freely, uh, freely to you or would that be appropriation? Um, there is, have you ever heard of kappa? It, so kappa is from the mulberry tree. Um, in Japan, they call it kozo. So mm -hmm. they make kozo. Or there's mulberry paper here. It's called kappa. And it's a wide range of making it into clothes or things um, or paper, right? So that's something new I've learned, and I've only watched it happen. I've only seen someone who's worked for it for years and has actually a spirit, spiritual journey um, with not just the material, but the tools she's using. Because like the tools have intricate carvings sometimes. Um, and I don't want to speak too much about something that I've never done. And I, I it's something I want to be invited into. Um, another beautiful plant is the tea, tea tree, T-I, and that's one of the native plants of Hawaii. And it's used for so many purposes. 
from cooking to weaving to lay making. And um, I heard that it's also used to ward away spirits. So again, it's like another material that has so much um, spiritual importance to that I still don't fully understand. So I should just respect the space. Um, and that, like you said, appropriate the Hawaiian culture. And mainly I wanna be invited to it. So, and it just takes time, slowly. Uh, I'm so glad that you agreed to talk to us uh, because this uh, uh, gives us uh, uh this new uh, understanding of uh, so many things uh, uh including some of the uh, uh hawaiian things and processes but I, I guess we need to to uh to to invite in the future to invite some uh native uh, hawaiian artists uh, uh to discuss the, the the things as well but uh, I, I've been to Hawaii some 25 years ago or something like that uh, when I was a kid. And uh, uh, of course, uh, we've got this uh, very touristic uh, uh, view uh, uh, of the islands. Uh, we, we've been only um, on, on the big island only for a moment. And then we uh, uh, spent all of, uh, most of our time on Maui. Uh, and uh, well, we drove around. We looked uh, looked around and tried to, you know, to uh, get all these impressions uh, uh, from the nature and uh, volcanic landscapes and all that stuff. But anyway, of course, we got mostly the touristic impressions uh, uh, from the place. And uh, I, I uh, didn't, well, especially as a child, I didn't have uh, any any absolutely any understanding and connection with these uh, uh, traditional ways. And uh, um, so, thank you for at least bringing us one step forward to see this. <laughs> it's crazy. I feel like I've traveled back in time because I'm originally from the Philippines. I was born there, um, and it feels like I traveled back in time during the Spanish colonization. And when all the islands started uh, changing to accommodate the, the Spanish monarchy. So, it, I mean, <laughs> I can't compare the two, but it's very similar, just different faces and different names. And I feel like I'm in the middle of that, but here in Hawaii. How does this uh, influence your, your art? Oh, man. <laughs> I, um, a lot of my art in general is always heavily questioning my identity. Um, there's always this yearning for home or a sense of belonging. Um, so it's always an, it's always an exploration that's exponentially either getting darker or more positive. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so recently, I kind of tied that all up into a book. Um, this is my like little chat book. It's called Hide and Seek. Mm -hmm. And again, like all my writing, photography, and poetry. Um, like here's a quote. Like, 
anger file down my fangs. Um, was it was um, it a decorated initial on one of the pages, or that was just an illustration of of some sort? Uh, I I didn't see it in, in in detail. I, you know what? I'll send you a copy. I'll send you guys a copy because <laughs> it's very very intimate and vulnerable and I was about to read some and then I kind of uh, chickened out. So <laughs> um, yeah, but I wanted to tie all the angst and frustration of growing up in America um, as an immigrant and also this, in, this interrogation of where I'm from you know, am I, am, am I an immigrant or am I Americanized? Because I came here when I was really young. So in the Philippines, I look very Americanized or Westernized. And then here I look very different or exotic or I just can't fit in. So I'm in this weird void. And so this whole, so this book talks about that feeling um, in different themes. Um, one part of it isn't dark, so one part of it is I actually did my DNA test. I put my spit in a little vial and sent it to a lab, and the results came back, and it was 99% Filipino slash Guam, and 1% Wales, and that was really surprising because, that, like... That's random. <laughs> I know. And I was like, what's Wales got to do with the Philippines? Um, so I did a bunch of research for three months. And I realized that a lot of pirates during the 16th century, when you know Magellan was going around the world and everyone wanted to go get spices and gold and rack all the Spanish um, armadas, a lot of uh, pirates during that time were from Wales with uh, English blood, like English background. So I actually tracked the ship that sailed from the from Wales through Guam to the Philippines. And I mean, this ship had like 200 crew members, but there were four main captains. <laughs> huh. um, yeah, one of them was Dampier or Dam Dampier, or I don't know how to pronounce his name. Um, yeah, so I don't know. I have pirate blood. That's the conclusion. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's science. <laughs> yeah, science. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, when my mother-in-law uh, took uh, a similar test, uh, uh, it was also sort of uh, this boring majority of 99% uh, of Jewish blood. So uh, not nothing to, you know, and no pirates, unfortunately. But then uh, when my grandfather uh, took this test and um, uh, and, and he's, he's a Russian guy, uh, uh, his ancestors come from uh, a region near Moscow. And uh, uh, well, the, there is some strange ancestry as well like from germany or from i don't know from eastern regions of russia and uh, something like that but then uh, the, the 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 test results show that uh, there are some somalian uh, uh, markers there wow <laughs> yeah <I know. laughs> 
<laughs> I also like I also like how na- how nowadays they give you how many percent of your DNA is Neanderthal, how much comes from Denisovans. Well, thank you very much. That's fascinating. We need, we all need to go uh, to the uh, to the southern Urals and see our ancestral lands. I yeah. mean, we all have we all have Denisovan ancestry. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, do, do you have any any other book objects or materials or sculptures or anything you you, you would like to show us? Or that's it for now. Hey, well, I think that's it for now. So uh, we will take a pause and uh, continue in the third chapter of our bookish talk with Andrea Kuna and. Uh, as usual, uh, uh, please check the links below. Uh, you'll find uh, links to An- Anjia's uh, website and uh, Instagram. And uh, uh, also you will find a link to our Patreon. You can support us with your money and <laughs> much appreciate your help and your input. And uh, please like, share, subscribe, and see you next time. Bye.